I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are things going? Uh, good. Good. It's, okay. it's that time of the week again when we like to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're definitely doing that right now. That is exactly what I'm doing. I hope you're doing it too. Otherwise, this is going to be a very one-sided conversation. Uh, wait, let me check. Yes. Okay. That's good. <laughs> now, as as our, our regular listener will know, we put so much care and effort into every one of these. We you know we, we rehearse over and over again until we're word perfect. Mm-hmm. We have a clear idea of exactly what's going on. Then the script is 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 prepared and edited well in advance mm-hmm. using word perfect. So, <laughs> using word perfect oh my gosh using not... an editor uh, uh, a document editor from the 1980s that's what that we do is quite something yeah <laughs> actually all right we're already derailed and there i was i was padding for us coming up with an idea about what this episode is going to be about and now i've completely derailed i was watching uh, an american youtube channel where they do up computers like old retro computers and they'd gotten mm-hmm. their hands on a uh, BBC Master, which was the kind of enhanced version of the BBC Micro, my favourite computer, and mm-hmm. was in fact actually the computer that I had growing up. And it comes with a built-in set of ROMs, and one of the ROMs is in fact a simple word processor. And oh. seeing him f- discover that, and then kind of try and type in it was it was so frustrating. Screaming at the screen, going, "No, no, you press this key to get out of it, or no, you do this type of thing." You know, like it's like watching someone use VI and be yeah, confused yeah, as heck. Yeah. And you're like, "No, it's obvious." Oh, if you were actually using computers in the late late eighties, that <laughs> so, right? Yeah, before so we, we're not using WYSIWYG. Wizzy, yeah, right. before WYSIWYG, right? Before oh my gosh, WYSIWYG. People don't even probably know what that means because it's like there wouldn't be a distinction in their minds to be like, yeah, if you're writing like a Google Doc, you just type the thing and then that's what it looks like, right? Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. like presumably like mid late eighties through I guess mid late nineties, WYSIWYG was a thing and it was mm-hmm. like a defining difference between applications. This one, and for those few listener. That uh, I don't know. <laughs> that don't know what WYSIWYG is stands for. What <laughs> the you see, teenage child of our listener, the teenage child of our listener. What you see is what you get, which is to say, if you edit stuff in a do- document uh, in Word or Google Docs, or whatever, as you're typing it, that's how it's going to appear on the printer, right? You're just writing it, and it's kind of obvious. It's so obvious that why would you have ever done it any other way? But back in the day of of like text based computing, very often you would have sort of essentially HTML-style markup code around your your document. And then only when you sent it to the printer did you actually discover what it was going to end up looking like. You had to render it mm-hmm. non-interactively. Mm-hmm. And so there was this big difference between uh, those that could show you interactively what your document would look like and those that essentially uh, had to do it uh, offline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the response to that from the hypothetical teenage child of our listeners is going to be like, why would you want to print it? <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, although I, uh, I had an, uh, an interview today and I was trying to print out uh, the candidate's resume and twice I sent it to my printer and twice it didn't appear. 
Mm-hmm. And I gave up because I hadn't got time. And then, yeah, like a caveman, or no, I guess not like a caveman, like a modern person, like I had to look at the resume uh-huh. on a screen next to them, which, uh, which is better, but I can't doodle on it. And that's, I think, the main mm-hmm. reason why I print out resumes is not to actually, it's the, the therapy of having something that I can abject, you know, idly doodle upon. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. While you're learning, le- listening to them drone on about their various accomplishments. Uh, drone on is not... <laughs> no, it was more than that. I don't want to make it sound like our interviewing process is, is dull. And this is not even what this episode is supposed to be. We are, what, no, five minutes in? This is this is this has been a hell of a tangent. This uh, is a tangent. So, what do you want to talk about today, Ben? Uh, I think we were going to talk about copying and pasting code. And when it is... It is actually a good idea. Is it ever a good it. idea to copy? Paste I think code. we can make the. I think I. I Go on, I, I convince me. I'm going to say. Prepared. I'm going to say every bug arguments. I've ever written is uh-huh. a result of p- copy pasting some bit of code from somewhere else and not really every thinking bug? about it. Uh, no, let's just start with that though. What, okay. When is it a good idea? When is it? When is it a good idea? So I can think of some maybe more mundane, some less controversial examples of this. Where when you are copying and pasting from uh, an example or a tutorial to explore something into like a REPL or, or to see how something mm-hmm. works is a, is a form of experimentation, right? There's no intention that the code that you write is going to make its way into any real live system. That's not why you're writing it. You're writing it because you have some API or some behavior that you don't understand, maybe even just part of the language that you don't understand and you're trying to understand it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think you've built an entire website around this concept. There may be right? some <laughs> amount of that truth that I, yeah. <laughs> um, and so copying and pasting code in, in that context, I think is obviously a good idea. Um, I think people can sometimes, sometimes, get into trouble when they're like, all right, well, I've got this copy and pasted code that I maybe hacked a few pieces in, uh, and now I'm done. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? No th- further work is necessary <laughs> from this point on. And that right? is definitely the, the the knee-jerk mental image I had of what I was uh-huh. thinking when I'm saying I copy-paste my code, and then, yeah, you don't read it properly, you don't understand it properly, and you move on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I think the more the more interesting places that you can you can kind of talk about this and think about this are uh, when you've you move you've moved beyond that stage. If we're not exploring, like the goal here is actually to write real production going to be used by other people code, and and when is copying and pasting code a good idea in that case? Um, I think a more controversial sort of second. Uh, condition that I could probably throw out here for discussion is hinges on the definition of duplication. So uh, I got I got to talk for a little bit of, uh, about why to explain this. I got to talk for a little bit about why copying pasting code is generally bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess that's that's not a bad idea given that we just assumed yeah, I yeah. just asserted it was terrible and we didn't back it up in any meaningful way. So yeah. What? Yeah. Why is it bad? So I, one way it can be bad and one way it can create like fairly serious problems is when you take a decision in a, in a system that is being made in one place and now all of a sudden you are making it in two places. And if those two places are ever out of sync, that will create a, a bug in your system, right? Like imagine like the way that you, you know, calculate interest for an account and that's in one place. 
And then you, you know, all of your interest calculations use this one algorithm and they're all consistent, right? And so like the amount of money that you transfer from account A to account B is consistent with the statements that you send out to your customers saying like, you earned this amount of interest. This is the amount that shows up in your statement. This is the amount that we sent to the, you know, ancient bank transfer API that, <laughs> that does, actually does the transfer from point A to point B. Running And now, yes, exactly. And now these things are in agreement. And if you were to duplicate that code and have the code that produced the customer statements be different than the code that did the bank transfer, they could get out of sync. And if they did, that would be a very serious bug. Yes. Right? Agreed. And so that kind of duplication is harmful. And we do our very best, I think, as software engineers to try to avoid that because we know it's harmful. And when you're just copying and pasting code, the question that you could be asking, you should be asking yourself is, is am I doing this? Am I creating this situation now where if you change one and you forget or neglect or just aren't aware to change the other, is that going to create a bug? Given that, I think there are situations where the opposite is kind of true, where it's sort of like, I have this piece of code right. and I need to do something similar but different in this code, right? So what I'm trying to do is I'm calculating an interest rate, but for a completely different purpose, right? Like maybe I'm calculating like a, you know, bond yield rate or something okay. like that. So it's like, it's like different enough to where it's like, yeah, there's some sort of similarity with this code, but it's not the same thing. And it is certainly not the case that if I changed my, you know, bond interest calculation that I should automatically and always change the customer bank account rate interest calculation, mm -hmm. right? Those are two separate things with two different reasons to change. And so a reasonable approach to implementing that new functionality might be, depending on the structure of the code, to copy that interest rate calculation code, to drive out the new behavior that you want with tests, to delete the behavior that you don't need, and make a copy of it and be like, now this is our interest, this is our bond algorithm and this is our customer account algorithm and they're different and they have different reasons to change and they have different behaviors as specified by these tests. The code maybe started out the same and maybe right now has some sort of accidental similarity between right. it. And, and you might even discover after going through that whole process that there is some essential similarity that really is the same. It's like doing any kind of interest rate calculation where you're just multiplying a balance by a rate. It's like, okay, fine. Maybe that gets pulled out into its own thing that is separate from those two things that is tested in its own way. There's more of a, like a library. And, and that is something that, that you don't want to duplicate. But I would almost argue that it is totally reasonable to start with duplicating those things on purpose because they have different reasons to change. Mm -hmm making them be the best form that they can be, and then looking at them and being like, is there any actual duplication be between these two things at that point? And how do I remove that duplication? Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, definitely the, the, the argument I was going to make that wasn't as maybe trite as, as like the interest rate itself is the calculation piece of, co of code. And if you copy the calculation code and you have it in two places, then a bug fix or a performance optimization in one doesn't necessarily make it to the other. So that would be my, that would just be a, a pile on to your argument about don't duplicating it. But yeah, that second reason where it is not copy pasting as 
an ends. It's not like I need this in two places. It's like I'm starting with something that's similar and I don't want to have coupling between these things on purpose. I am choosing to essentially branch the code or a, yeah, a little facet a of the code right. and say these mm -hmm. they, they share an ancestry, untracked as it may be in source control, yeah. but they share an ancestry because they have a, f a similar job to do. But I am deliberately going to evolve them in different directions. And that, to me, is actually more of a, 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 a point, is that um, sometimes by reusing a piece of code, you're introducing coupling between components that otherwise wouldn't share so much coupling in code which maybe um hurts you down the line um in so mm -hmm. to try and sort of think of a concrete reason uh, example of this is certainly if you are planning on moving two systems in two different directions the fact that they share a piece of common functionality might make it more complicated and harder to test if it has to do essentially two jobs and the jobs are disjoint mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or partially disjoint and at some point obviously you want to be able to extract a little bit that is common truly common and maybe that's your like util library dot function you know the horrific right, naming right, right. of whatever yeah. that part is notwithstanding <laughs> but the the software junk the, yes i mean we used to have uh we used to have something yeah for c cruft was our, all of the crufty bits of code that you needed in c just to get things to work um naming mm -hmm. naming is difficult right we, we we know that it's been well well documented that naming is hard but we can try it can and should do better um that said, though, yeah, by deliberately choosing to copy, that lets the two copies evolve in their own directions. And that's mm -hmm. maybe a boon because you're not weighing down uh, one implementation with the changes and the modifications to support functionality it doesn't care about, which maybe bloats mm -hmm. its API, makes it harder to test, makes it less performant. But it is a trade-off between... Well, what if there is a core bug in that feature? How how will you get the fix over to the sort of equivalent in the other piece of code? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For me, it, it comes down to this sort of litmus test of like, if these two things don't change in lockstep, is that a bug or a feature? Right. Right? Because it could be either, depending on what they Very are. Very context right? dependent, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I, I think is related, but not the same thing as we're talking about here is a situation where you are using duplication as a as a way to evolve the design of a system. And I actually have this right now in one of the things that I'm working on. We are moving uh, a process that we've been running from being sort of a, a single-threaded process that runs on a local machine to a distributed process that runs inside of a work queue. And the implementation of the algorithm is the same in both cases, but the sort of scaffolding around it is completely different. And we could have kind of tortured the design a little bit to unify mm -hmm. the duplication of those two things, but the intention is to get rid of the single-threaded local version and only have the distributed version. So we literally have uh, uh, two copies, essentially, of this class in the system right now. One is called like job, and the other one's called job new. And job new is pretty much a copy and paste of job with all of the changes necessary to make it run inside of our work queue. And the intention is we're going to delete 
job and then rename job new to job uh, when this transition <laughs> is complete. Now, this is definitely something that takes discipline within the team because right. if you of don't course. have that discipline and you get pulled off onto other things and then you this sticks around new job new job new new and then job new new and then job new 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 right and it just gets terrible but you know for teams that that have that discipline and are able basically like i say discipline but really it's just like do you have control over your own priorities Right, because if you have control over your own priorities, yeah. then you can just decide that you want to do this, and then you can do it. If your priorities are set by somebody that doesn't have an understanding of how your source code works, then I wouldn't do this because you will easily find yourself in a situation. It's like, oh, we have three new job news, and they're all terrible, and I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Um, but um, the the technique itself, I I think you know, for teams that can do this, is is a very is a very valuable one. There's a there's sort of a form of this that I do locally. You know, this this is a one that's living, be, you know, through multiple PRs and multiple commits, and you know, it's probably going to be a few weeks before we fully make this transition. But there are definitely situations in which I will do this exact same thing, sort of like within the span of a few hours, where I'm mm-hmm. trying to change the implementation of something. Uh, in you know to maybe to add some some new behavior some performance characteristic whatever it might be and uh, you maybe have heard me say this before this metaphor of like the bag of sand um, as in uh, Indiana Jones bag yes, of sand as in yes. uh, you know for for uh, the for folks those who, who don't know what WYSIWYG is movie, yes <laughs> for those who don't know what WYSIWYG is let me also explain to you the first Indiana Jones movie um, which is there's a scene at the very beginning of the Indiana Jones movie where he's in this like lost forgotten temple. And he's trying to uh, recover this golden statue before it gets stolen by this other person who's just going to sell it. Uh, it belongs in a museum, you know that scene if you've ever seen it. Um, and so he and, and there's traps all around this place, and he's trying not to get killed. And he knows that there's some weight sensor mechanism thing in this pedestal, and so he's sitting there staring at this at this golden idol with a bag of sand in his hand, trying to figure out what the weight of the idol is so that he can swap out one for the other. And unfortunately, Mr. Jones fails at this task and a giant (laughs) boulder rolls down at him. But in software, you can attempt to do this by creating a new implementation of something that has some characteristic that you want. You know, maybe it's more performance or maybe the code is simpler or maybe it's got even got some new behavior in it, but it supports all the existing behavior and completely implement that thing. And then find a point, like a single seam in the code. You know, maybe it's like where you're instantiating a class or calling a function, and you're like, "All right, I'm gonna comment out the old one, and I'm gonna put in the new one, and then I'm gonna run all my tests, and I'm gonna see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if all the tests pass, you're great. Now you can go and you can delete all that duplicated code that you created, right? You can delete the old implementation, you can delete all those old things, and clean it all up." Uh, if the tests don't pass, then you have a giant boulder rolling at you, and now you have to do something, which is usually undo um, and try again, right? Unlike, un- unlike Indiana Jones, you have the, you have the opportunity to, tr- to undo. I think um, the critical part of that is that, first and foremost, um, the bag of sand itself was a copy-paste, potentially, of the original code, yes. right? It was like, yes. hey, I copy-pasted yes. it, and now I have pretty much carte blanche because nothing is using this currently. It, the bag of right. sand is in my hand. It's not on the pedestal. Exactly. This analogy is breaking down a little bit here, but yeah, I think I think you've got to go in. Yeah. Um, and you've yeah. got the chance to look at it. And also, critically, this could be could have its own tests for the new functionality. It Absolutely, could have its yes. own the assertions that you want to to ch- test about 
the the replacement characteristics of this thing mm-hmm. and that could be committed and checked in and it could be side by side in your code base for some amount of time even mm-hmm. while yeah. maybe it's used in a couple of new locations while you're like i def- definitely need the new functionality and we haven't got the old version and then at some point you make the call that there seems to be doing what you need it to do it's passing all the tests for the old system and then you have your indiana jones moment of doing the switch yeah, yeah. and that yep. can come in a very controlled process uh, uh, a very controlled part of the development process and then you sort of commit it on a friday and say all right everyone the old system is gone on monday i'm really sorry if you've been hacking on the 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 old system over the weekend <laughs> you're going to have some horrible merge conflicts on monday morning right right um, right right yeah 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 and i mean you can do more sophisticated things like that where you have like feature flags or like different modes where you're like running the new and the old code and that is actually kind of what we're doing with this job that i was talking right. about earlier where it's like you know we've got some things that are using the old job and some things that are using the new job and we're sort of slowly transitioning all everything over to be the new thing and then when there's no more uses of the new thing then or the old thing then we'll just have the new thing and we can and we can delete the old thing um but yeah, you can also just do it with just a couple of comments, right? Yeah. <laughs> like comment out old thing, put in new thing, switch back if if yeah. You but get don't hit by a but don't check in that comments. <laughs> yes, which right. I think we've we've yes. talked about before. <laughs> yeah, we might have we might have, we might have talked about, about, about yeah not not che- yes. checking and commented out code, but yeah, that's a whole other a whole other episode. So uh-huh. here's another place where uh, I am tempted very often to use copy paste. And I, I say this to you partly as uh, uh, the catharsis of, uh, of, <laughs> of admitting it in public, or at least to mm-hmm. you, and then our listener. A confession? Confessional. Yes. Thank you. That was the word I was looking Cle- for. Cleanse your soul. You'll feel a lot better. I will. I will. Cleanse yeah, cl- what remains of my, my soul. Um, <laughs> what, um, what I tend to use copy-paste for is having written a test for my code and observed its output against the empty string I asserted it to be uh, equal to, mm-hmm. I will right. then read through the difference that my my failing test tells me, mm-hmm. hey, got empty string, expected, mm-hmm. sorry, I got blah, expected empty string. I will read through the blah, and if the blah makes sense to me, if it's the formatting is right and everything, then I would be tempted to take that and copy it into the test itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's... That's certainly not a deadly sin. <laughs> I don't, Listen, I don't know if you if could see his face, super... you know, there's, there's clearly some sin-like characteristics of this. Is is trying to be so kind. I, so for me, it's it's a question of if it literally is a string. So you can talk about sort of like different values and things, right? Um, you know, like the the place. Let's talk about the places where that that is probably not a great idea, and some of the places where it is it probably is actually a time saver and not not a bad idea at all. So if what you're doing is you have written some complicated interest rate calculation that's this, like compounding daily and it's got a bunch of different factors in it, and you write out all that code, and then you write the test that asserts that it's the the new balance is equal to zero. And then you run the test and it says, no, it's actually it's $217.38. And then you just copy that into your answer. And then you'd be like, well, that must be correct. You're doing it wrong, right? right? Like that is not what you should be doing, right? Um, If what you're doing is you've got some like human readable string representation of an object, right? That has like, you know, some interesting information in it that is intended for logs or you're reporting on a screen or something like that. And you've written that function that kind of appends all the stuff together. And there's no branches in that code. It's just gathering up a bunch of information, printing it all out. 
and you want to take that and put that into your output, I think that's completely reasonable. So long as you're confident that there aren't going to be any sort of like weird, like invisible character type things in there that you might not expect. Right. Right. Or, because you can accidentally sort of like copy and paste like an unprintable character. And then someone comes along and they like edit the thing, like taking out of space or putting it back in. And then all of a sudden the tests are failing. And you're like, what is going on here? Right. Like this code is identical. Like what, what is the, what is the thing? So like, you know, as long as you're confident that, that the copy and paste is like, uh, not going to surprise right. anyone with its contents, then I think that's a completely and reasonable thing. That's to do. actually the exact case that I do use this particular kind of thing. It's like, yeah, I have the to string of something, and it's like I, I read the code, uh, well, I wrote the code, and it seems reasonably sane to me. And I just want to have some kind of test somewhere that says like, no one broke this in a way that's surprising, and so mm -hmm. I, I might to string something and look at it. Now, obviously, there are. With things like that, you have to be a bit careful because, you know, if you have containers that don't have a well-defined sequence to them, you know, sets and things like that that mm -hmm. don't, then you can sometimes yep. become too sensitive to minutiae of your code and it yeah, becomes very brittle. And, it, and tests, it, almost yeah. by its very nature, it's it's very brittle. And in fact, it reminds me a little bit of like one of our very first podcasts when we had Claire on talking about the acceptance mm -hmm. test. It's a kind of inline acceptance test where you're saying like, this seems reasonable to me and I'd be interested if it changed. But but yeah, you don't get right. the, the very very high fidelity of like oh clearly you this is it was this to string of some sub 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 object that was missing now a uh, closed paren and you get the single targeted mm -hmm. failure that says oh that's where it went wrong probably you're just going to find out that your giant string of like the whole world object that you created just as a kind of like smorgasbord of all the things test is now different and hopefully your output your diff output is good enough for you to go sp to spot that it's a, a, a brace missing or a comma a parenthesis right brace. yeah yeah i think that's a really astute observation because i think a lot of the interesting stuff that claire was talking about was all of the tooling and the infrastructure that they had to kind of like deal with the fact that these things are kind of brittle and you need to do things like strip out transient dates and deal with you know like uh, things that are potentially out of order and like all the tools she was talking about are like specifically designed to deal with the, those kinds of things, which your unit testing framework is almost certainly yeah. not. Right. So if you're writing that style of, you test, probably want to use the right using tool for the job then. Yeah. Right. Or, or like structure the test in a way where you understand that it's like, okay, I, we need to be very careful about how we set this up because these tools aren't set right. up for, they're not capable of handling that kind of variation. And so we can't let that variation in. Whereas with the acceptance testing tools that Claire was talking about, they'd be like, yes, that's completely fine. That's, it comes that's with it out, out of the gate. It's doing some things for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That actually makes me interesting. Right. So one of my, one of the patterns when I'm writing Python code and I'm testing like edge cases and, and to some extent in C++ as I'm one of the rare heathens who actually uses exceptions in my C++ code. I know a lot of this unfashionable, but certainly for like error cases and error conditions that are genuinely exceptional and, and typically will shut the application down, uh, I don't mind using them, but that's not why I'm talking about them. What typically one has with uh, exceptions is that you have like some kind of class that holds the exception that you can, in your testing framework, you can match against and say like, hey, I expect a uh, an exception or an error of this type to be thrown, you know, missing parameter exp uh, expression or something like that. And it's mm -hmm. good practice in Python to create a unique error for each of your like modules so that you can catch them in tests in general rather than just catching runtime error and things like that. But mm -hmm. even having done yeah. that, even with the fidelity of knowing that you've caught the 
this is you know a key not found in remote data store exception or whatever you probably want to look at the message that's in there and there again you want to kind of try and find the right amount of um brittleness of like here's the exact error message and of course if it contains upstream things from say aws or google cloud it might have some arcane error message error number inside the the, the string that you've got mm-hmm. but what you really are looking for is just a bit of it and so i will typically write uh sort of things that contains a string and it must contain missing string and it must contain my key name that i asked it and then other than that all bets are off right i'm happy with that level of of fidelity only so i haven't copy pasted the exact error message that i was expecting which I could easily get by mm-hmm. just again matching an empty string and then seeing what I get, because it just seems too right. brittle and it's you know case or otherwise and and most of these matches also export, expect support regular expressions so you can kind of substring in regular expression bits of it and so so even then when you're copy pasting it it pays to look at what you pasted and say is this exactly what I wanted or should I have modified it in some right. small way. Yeah, yeah. Or am I just reinforcing the bug in this code by writing a test that asserts <laughs> that the sure bug the is bug there? Make sure the bug is not fixed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think those are all like very very reasonable places. Some of the places that might be a little bit more borderline are. Um, which, which I, I could make some maybe arguments for doing it. And I could make some maybe arguments for not doing it is uh, a, a situation where there's a library that exists that does exactly what you needed to do, right? There's some, there's some function in there. So there's some class in there that does exactly the behavior that you want. You do not want to implement this yourself. You want to use the library, but unfortunately the library has a hundred thousand transitive dependencies None of which are necessary for the one function that you want, I, right? I have a quick question on. Um, yes, you're developing in Java at the moment, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, also true in Python. Is um, um, yeah, okay, fair. All right, it's a fair fight. Yeah, right. yeah. I was just thinking, yes, it sounds like you but, know, every Maven yeah. thing you've ever done before. We've gone, <laughs> and in fairness, you know, JavaScript, TypeScript as well. Like you're like, hey, I just well, want this thing, yeah. this one function, and then you're like, why have I got? 150 megabytes of text in my right. node packages. How is this possible? How is that much code why, been written? How could you possibly need all these things? Yes. Um, but yes, I will I will very easily grant this is a common problem in the Java but world. It is also a pro- common problem in To put in you back on track too, that I derailed but, you from, you were saying that but if yes, there's this so, one class that implements this perfect thing of like, this is how to parse some mm-hmm. data structure or some string... Right, right, right. And now I got to pull in like layers and layers and layers of transitive dependencies, some of which might conflict with my existing ones, or even if they don't, might in the future, I might, I might just be like, nope, we're going to copy and paste this code. I'm going to go find these 12 lines of code and I'm going to put them into my project. And I might even write some tests around them because now this is my code. I own it now. That's true. Um, but, we should also say uh, that one should be careful about licenses when does when doing this kind yes, of thing. So always obvious, worth considering. Yes, I know that's obviously a, that's a top, no, top right, of mind in this yes. for us, but not necessarily. Not for all else. open source licenses are created equal, and you need to understand how they work. Uh, you know, there are things like MIT that are generally pretty safe, but beyond that, it's sort of like ask your lawyer. Ask your yeah um, yeah certainly at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but. Um, 
that is another situation where I would never say that that is generally the right thing to do. Um, but in certain situations, I I have done it, and I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, complain anybody else doing it because the trade off just doesn't make sense. Like I don't want to add, you know, three times the number of dependencies to this project for a twelve line function or even like a hundred line function, right? Yeah. Um, I I just I just want this behavior in my system, and so that I'm, the best way for me to get that is is to copy and paste it. Yeah. Well, that's a good. I think that's a good argument for for copying and pasting as well. Is just some cases where you just want that little bit of code, but you don't mm-hmm. need everything else that comes with it. Um, mm-hmm. So here's an interesting uh, thought I had, um, and this is sort of now slightly left field. Uh, it occurs <laughs> to me that um, copy and pasting is only bad when a human does it. Right? If we do it, then uh, it's it's uh, problematic. But if the computer does it. Then maybe it's forgivable. Oh, and the reason I say this, say this is that like one of the, the sort of like the mothers of optimization in the compiler community is inlining functions, which is to say copying the function you're calling from where it was defined to where it's being used every single time it's used, and that is generally accept- accepted to be a very good thing to do under for certain metrics at least. Yeah, but the thing is, it's automated, right? I, it's done reliably right, by right, a computer right. every time, and it and if I change the original implementation, it obviously will recompile as long as you've got your compiler build set right. up correctly every time. So, so yeah. it's it's so I wondered if there was something from the properties of copy pasting that, that that we're losing. I think it's that when a human does it, you have lost the link between the original and the the copy, right? There, is, although I sort of right. said there's this ancestry. You could sort of track yeah. it with some way. Maybe, maybe this is missing functionality in our tooling that we. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point, and it's sort of like imagine a world where, like you know, the lineage of a, a piece of copy and pasted code could be like very easily and obviously tracked. And I have no idea what that would actually Me look neither, like. Me neither, but how no. It would work. It, I, but like, you know, it's like, oh, you're changing this line, and then there's some pop up that's like, did you know that this is a copy of this other line over here? Uh, and like in a not annoying and stupid way, right? <laughs> I mean, many IDs, of course, uh, do have some amount of like, hey, this code is there's these ten lines of code are duplicated yes. somewhere else. So it's a kind of extension yes. of that, I suppose. But it's more like knowingly editing a duplicate. The IDE could right. say, hey, somewhere else, you're also looping over, and you've just looped over one less than than you having yeah, the copy. So yeah. do you want to update the copy or not? Or should I tell you about that? So the, the trick the trick to that would be that the IDE would somehow have to understand the domain of the problem that you're trying to solve enough to know that it's like, oh no, this is just another balance calculation, just the same as this other one. Because like one of the things about duplication is y- you can have code that is the exact same code, character for mm-hmm. character, and it can be not duplicated, Right. It can you can be for completely different reasons, completely different reasons to change, completely different reasons to exist. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be in the same shape right now, yes. but tomorrow it Which, might be totally different. And if you if you changed one and changed the other, that would be a huge bug, and you would never want to do that. Right? Yeah. And you can have code that is totally different, but is actually duplicated. Right. Like yeah. the 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 structure is different. The 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 everything's different, but. It, it it's solving the same problem in two just different ways and it needs to be unified, right? Yeah. And so like the IDE would have to tell the difference 
which humans between all those even, different uh, humans can barely do it right this is why so heuristics like, you know are coming yeah. to these ideas and how many lines do i say and i, I know some ideas were like well even if you rename all the var- variables i n- quote know it's the same yeah but, a code, yeah. but yeah if you if you change the for with a do while or a, a, a some other mm-hmm. thing it's very hard although again interestingly and this is only you know here i am just keep steering it back to things i know to, love to talk about but like something that compilers do internally is they try and canonify all the different ways that you can write code. So they take a loop, mm-hmm. any loop, if it be a do while or a while or a for, and they rewrite it in a canonical form so that um, similarities in code can be found. And more importantly, for a compiler oh, specifically, yeah. it's if somebody writes a piece of... So my, my favorite example of this is something where if you count the number of one bits in an integer by looping looping over all of the different you know 32 possible or 64 possible things and saying, is that bit set? And then adding that up. Or if you do it by shifting it down, or you do it by other ways, ultimately there is there are about two or three ways you could write that. And if the compiler can canonify them into one or two possible variations of intermediate representation, mm-hmm. and whether you wrote a for loop or a while loop or a, a a do while or whatever, then the optimization that looks at that and says there's a single CPU instruction that does exactly that whole loop can kick in much more easily. Whereas if it has to deal with every possible combination and permutation of like, well, they used a four over here, but they used a while yeah, over here. It's yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting that, that there's there there's some some similar shapes in all of this. It's all, all sort of connected. Yeah. So in an interesting way, like the compiler is unifying duplication across all of the projects that it compiles in the entire world. In in essence, in order to then match it against the human yeah. curated list of like, hey, uh, this is one way you can do a pop count, and this is another right. way you can do a pop count, and right. and or all the other things that happen, and you know, and obviously, um, it makes their testing easier if they can guarantee that like a matrix of uh, yeah. possible combinations is reduced by saying like, look, if there's a loop, it always looks like this. It doesn't matter if it's a do or a for. There's always a start condition. There's always mm-hmm. a step condition, and then there's always a terminating condition, and there's always a cleanup condition, and there are always there's four labels. And it's always this way. Some of them are empty. Some of them will immediately jump to the, the 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 beginning of the loop. Some of them check the condition. So if you look at, for example, unoptimized code in uh, your favorite tool for looking at uh, compiled languages, then you'll <laughs> often see that uh, bizarrely it'll jump to the end of the loop for a for loop, and then it'll jump back to the top again because that's where the check is done. Sometimes is at the mm. end of the loop, and so it'll jump. To, the first thing is, hey, I set everything up and jump to the end. You're like, no, 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 start the loop. You're like, no, it has to check the condition at the beginning of the loop, and that's checked at the end. So it just jumps to the end, does the conditional mm-hmm. check, and goes around to the and top. Then within, you know, the and so yeah. it's really quite interesting to see these things come out. But we're talking about copying and pasting, or we were. <laughs> And now no, I'm no, talking about is, loop optimizers. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, I, I, I really like the the way that you're thinking about this because this is fascinating. It's sort of like getting to the heart of, I think it gets to the heart of why duplication is bad and what are the, some of the things that can make it good, right? Um, and like, you know, I never really thought about before, like maybe there's some world where you're kind of like removing duplication by temporarily creating it. So imagine a situation where you suspect that two pieces of code are actually the same underneath the hood. Like mm-hmm. they seem like they're doing the same thing, but you're not sure. And so you're, you're, the way that you're going to figure this out is you're going to bag of sand it. So you're going to make a copy of one of them, and then you're going to try to refactor it and sh- re- maybe even just rewrite it right. into the shape of the other one. And then as soon as like 
you've achieved duplication. It's almost like Rose and Tetris. Yeah, they disappear. <laughs> and they disappear. And they're like, these are actually the same. And then you can delete your copy and then you can delete one of the originals. And now you only have one of the three. That's cool. Right? That's an interesting way. Yeah. Of like sort of, it's almost like refactoring where you can make changes uh, yeah. over and over again. You say, well, can I, or, or there are, you know, branches of mathematics where you can sort of show two things are distinct by slowly applying changes until you can show that one is equivalent to the other through yeah, a sequence yeah, of, yeah. Of, of steps. So yeah, I, I'm sure there's some clever things that you can do in that, in that respect. Yeah. Well, but yeah, duplication done by your compiler is is. Uh, uh, I mean, again, a, it an seems interesting variation. Anyway, like get me to talk about things I'm well, not yeah. talking about. This is why we have this podcast. That's why we have this. The, isn't the it? intersection yeah. between all these different things. Yeah, works out yeah, so I suppose well. so. I suppose yeah. so. Well, yeah. I think that's about all I've got. For yeah, that's and I can't really I'm sure there are other things else. that we could come There's up with, but you know, it's yeah. it seems like this is a good amount of time to be talking about it. And our listener hopefully has been kept entertained on their dog walk or commute or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Explaining to their teenager what WYSIWYG and printing is. <laughs> Telling their teenager what <laughs> printing and WYSIWYG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I'll see you on the next one. All right. Sounds good. You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godbolt. Find the show transcript and notes at www.twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Mastodon. We are at twoscompliment at hackyderm.io. Our theme music is by Inverse Phase. Find out more at inversephase.com. <laughs>